Welcome everybody to Thrill Seekers Radio. This is Alex Dolan. As a reminder, we're part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And this episode and all other episodes of Thrill Seekers are available at www.alexdolan.com. Um, I'm really excited to have uh, Yorsa Sukothardotter um, join us. From uh, She's calling in from Reykjavik. For folks that are listening in from Iceland, I apologize in advance that I'm bumbling through the pronunciation, but bear with me. I'm really honored to, to have Ron. Irsa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, we met in passing at BoucherCon, which most people that listen here probably uh, know what that is, but it's a conference for, for thriller writers uh, and that was in um, hot and swampy Florida this year. How often do you travel to the States and, and elsewhere? Yeah, I, I travel a lot. Uh, I travel maybe... Basically, it's like two, three trips a month. Do you feel like, as a writer based in Iceland, that you you do need to to travel more to to you know reach out to new readers? Yeah, I I, I mean part of when you when you're published somewhere, you know, whether you're local or somebody in translation, you know, if the publisher wants you to come and and take part in some promo, then of course you do it because. You know, you want to be behind, stand behind your own book. You know, do what you can to to promote it. And then there are these crime fiction conventions like Alshakan. They have a lot of those in the UK. They have in Sweden. I mean, every country has their own. And I tend to to go to to many of these people. I don't know. Iceland is maybe popular now, I guess. So, so people like to have an Icelandic author, and so I get invited to those a lot. I, I really enjoy going to them. It's quite fun, both to meet the readers and also to meet other authors. So I think I met like every author, every thriller and crime <laughs> author. And you were, you were able to suffer through it without actual, you know, appropriate uh, Florida clothing. I had a horrible time with the weather. <laughs> and a great time inside the air conditioning space, but, but outside, I mean, I in Iceland, Summer clothing is really winter clothing without socks. I mean, there's not a huge difference between winter right. and summer. And even though my sister lives in Florida, and I should have known what I was getting into. It was just so humid. And I had bought a woolen dress. I had a down coat with me. I don't know what I was thinking, but so I, I was not prepared. So I stayed inside a lot. Yeah, if it makes you feel any better, I was in, I was in the same boat. And I, I live in California, and I uh, I always forget how spoiled I am in California because it's it's never really that humid out here. And then you go to Florida, and you realize, oh yeah, that's um, that's why I'm sweating. Um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people that are listen to, that listen to the show already know your work. Can we talk about uh, just to get started? Talk about uh, the legacy, and the and yeah. this is the first of a series, and it's a new series for you. And um, and talk a little bit about what it's about. Yeah, yeah, the legacy I had written before before the legacy I wrote a series about a lawyer, a female lawyer called Toda. And I managed to write six books and then I got a little bit tired. And I think, you know, if you have characters that that uh, evolve with every book or change or situation changes, you know, they're like normal people, not people that are exactly the same in every book, which is a different way of doing it. It's not worse or, or, or any lesser. It's just different. Uh, then, then you get tired of these people and trying to make their life interesting all the time. So you not only have to come up with a good case, you have to also make the life of the protagonist 
interesting. So, so I, I found that after six books, we thought I just, I couldn't do any more. So I wrote some standalone from them. I was ready to start on a new series, and that's the one that I'm presently writing in two. I, I'm writing the first book actually now, and it's, it's a bit behind in translation into English. And uh, and and in this this series, I have two two lead protagonists, a female called Freya, who's a psychologist, and a policeman called Hintas. And I'm very much enjoying writing that series still after five books. So it'll be at least six. The series with Tora. So you've, you've moved from a, the central character of that series as a lawyer. And, yeah. uh, and now the, one of the two main characters is a psychologist. And was it, was the process different in terms of developing the character? What, you know, what, what was kind of different about creating a new series centered around her character? The main difference I think would be, the the, um, the luxury of having a cop that that made it makes everything so much easier because when you're writing about, for example, a lawyer, you know, a lawyer really doesn't come into things until things have gone to trial, have been investigated, and so on. So I always had to think of a like a really interesting murder case to write about, and then also how do I inject her into the 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 investigation, how, how can she become involved in the investigation? So that added sort of an added complexity to, to the thinking out of the book. Whereas with a cop, you have somebody who can go and interrogate people or, or you know, who has access to witnesses to, to the, the, to the uh, uh, clues. And what do you, not clues, what do you call the people on, on, on a crime scene? Evidence? Evidence, evidence, yeah. Sorry, my English is not perfect. Actually, your, your English is great, by the way. So you're, you're fine. So, so, the, so that was a huge difference, like a, like a freedom to, to have a cop finally. And also, the, I mean, I've written, I don't know how many books. I, my, the one I'm writing now is, I think, number 14 or something for grown ups, and then I wrote for children before. And I find that with Every book with increasing age, I don't know what it is, I, I'm, I'm more uh, horrible. I'm much more horrible. <laughs> and people think I'm, I'm not trying to, to I'm just going to go with the flow, you know, do, do whatever feels right at, at each time. Well, so I wanted to ask you about that. So uh, you've, a, you've a large body of work, and it's funny, I was, I was trying to figure out how many titles you had. And sometimes I don't get it right because with all the different versions and translations, I don't necessarily always get the titles right. So you have 14 books. Um, you, you know, you, you kind of, you cross genres a lot, which I, I really like. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, you have, you know, you're in thrillers, you, you have uh, part of your work is in children's fiction. Um, and then you have uh, this new series, which almost kind of crosses the line into horror. I we're going to talk about another book called I Remember You because it's a it's a ghost story and I'm starting to dig into that and that's like very much that also sort of like blurs the line between genres but it sounds like you're kind of interested in making things new for you and and trying new things do you do you ever get I know a lot of other authors get get pressure to kind of stay within a genre has that ever been an issue for you No no I'm not really I mean I think I guess I, I'm lucky in a sense that I'm not like a huge, huge name. 
if you're a huge, huge name and people sort of have preconceptions about what you're going to be writing and what the book mm-hmm. will be about. I, I myself, I bought a book by an author who stepped out of, like a very well-known author who stepped out of his normal uh, thing and I was kind of, but but I'm not there. So, so I can basically write whatever I feel like writing each time. Nobody will get very upset with me. Well, and so you're talking about the, you know, the, the further in you go, you, the, the more horrible things you can do. And let's talk about the legacy a little bit. Uh, you have kind of a perfect locked room scenario here. You have a, the, a mother dies in the room as, with her daughter, who's seven years old. And then uh, Freya, is, uh, the psychologist, is, is trying to get her to talk about what happened. Talk a, a little bit about the story and, and what the book's about. In the legacy, I'm introducing, of course, my, my two new protagonists, child psychologist Freya and then policeman Hintas. And in, in this, the, the book, uh, it's about a woman who's murdered in her bed, and the only witness to the murder is her little daughter, who is found hiding under the bed. And the child is not willing to talk, or, or is, it's very difficult to get, um, to get her to, to try to get her testimony. So the police engage um, an institution that actually exists in Iceland, which is called the Children's House. And, it, and the Children's House is an institution where children are, come across, are victims of something, or can be sort of processed through the investigative and the judicial system without ever having to go to a police station or, or a court. So, so this little girl is thought there, and that's how Freya, the child psychologist, comes in. She's um, she's specialized in, in interrogation of children because children are difficult um, as witnesses because they tend to tell you what you want to hear because they, they're in awe of grown-ups. So mm, she's there to help, yeah, to help Hultar uh, and his team try to get sort of a handle on, on the child's testimony. The bad thing is that uh, when Hultar shows up to, to the children's house for this uh, testimony taking, then it turns out that they've met before and he had, they had one night stand, he'd given him the wrong name, pretending to be a carpenter and left in the morning. So, so they start off on a very, yeah, not very good ground, but have to try to sort of set their differences aside to, to carry on with the case. And, and I make, it's a little bit, um, and then there, there's more in the story. There's a, a young man who, who was a radio, ham radio enthusiast and he's interested in number stations that are sort of coded messages that are that come over like speedy radio and uh and he is sort of starts to get messages that he realizes somehow linked to the to the murders that are going on in the paper and then it all ties up and this is based on a true a real case right no 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 that's number two. Oh, i'm sorry i thought i thought that i I read somewhere that this was based on a true story. So, um, yeah, my mistake. No, yeah, the second one is not, it's, it's, uh, that one is called The Reckoning and it should be coming out, I think, in January. Ah. And it's, it's not based on a real case, but it's inspired by a, a really awful handling of a, of, a, um, of a case here in Iceland that I, I was just so angry that, so I'm writing it, I'm making it even more awful. But it's not, it's not based on a true story, but inspired by the anger that came out of a true story, I guess. So it's very violent. What was the real case? 
Oh, it was a horrible, horrible case of 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 um, uh, what was what would be the English word? When a father that's misusing his daughters and 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 how the system let these little girls down. Right. So it's incest, basically. Yeah, incest. That's the yeah. word. Yeah. The decision to to move away from or to at least start a new series is the series with Dora still going on or is are you do you think you're going to shift to this for now um i'll probably like i said i'm writing the fifth one in the series now and and i think i'll I'll manage at least for six books we'll see what happens probably after six i'll take a break write a horror novel what happens after that i don't know i might i want to at some point write an apocalyptic novel i might even write science fiction i don't know it's i think the only thing that i i can I'm sure that I will never ever do and that I will never write a vampire novel because <laughs> I don't like vampire novels and they're kind of romance, disguised romance books. And I probably won't write like a love story either. So other than that, who knows? And yet you, because you have to, I think that would be tailor made for vampires. <laughs> ah, except in the summer, they would starve. Except for the, except for the summer, they'd starve, but... Yeah, because it's, no, no. In the summer, it's twenty-four hours light, so they would never, uh, they would die out in the summer. They'd have a good winter, though. They'd have a great winter. Well, it could be like a vacation spot. Have, it could be, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, all right. So the you're writing the fifth book in the series, and um, and some of the translations are behind. It you know it takes a little bit longer to for the translations. What what's the process like in terms of? Uh, introducing a new book to the market for for you is it do you feel like the process is a little slower than other authors because in, in many cases you are trying to to go for the translation as well and and introduce into different uh, countries and different markets I think what what's probably different for for authors in translation would be that you you you're going like I'm traveling to all these different countries to promote books and sometimes it's a book I wrote three years ago. Sometimes it's a book I wrote last year. It's never the book that I just wrote. You see, I, so 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 I have to always remain uh, kind of up to date with what's what I wrote before. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you can't really remember where whoa whoa what were the characters' name in that book. So so I think it's that that would be the biggest difference. That makes sense. Uh, what what is the process like working with a translator? Oh, it's 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 wonderful. Translators are great people. I I have a really really superb translator into English. Her name is Victoria Cribb, and it's translated. She's she's British, and it's translated for the British market first, and then then it's taken to America. That same translation, I think, tweaked to, to remove things that that don't make any sense in in America. Yeah, that makes sense. Take take out things things that are like you have different kind of cursing and and, and that type of thing. So, so they kind of tweak it to make it sound, you know, more American. And and she's wonderful. She she'll send me and she'll send me like things. The thing is, a good translator doesn't have to be a hundred percent in the language he's translating from, mm-hmm. but they have to be, of course, a hundred percent and really good in in the language they're translating into. So there's always going to be something that a translator will not get. Will, will you know some some lingo some slang or things that are not in in um, dictionaries or on the internet kind of so so there's always an exchange between the writer and the translator but 
the ones that you worry about are the ones that never get in touch. Then you know, okay, <laughs> right, not going to be good. <laughs> they're they're going to get a lot of stuff wrong. But but maybe they're using the English one or the or German one or something to 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 try to find out when they when they come across something that doesn't hurt. But but it's much better if they get in touch. I want to talk a little bit about um, you, you've been writing for a long time. Um, I th- yeah. Somewhere I read, I read that you've been writing since 1998, um, and you have a, a really yeah. large body of work that I um, I hope everyone listening digs into if you haven't already started, uh, and I, I definitely am going to. But you you started out as a civil engineer, and I don't know if you are you still a civil engineer. I am still a civil engineer. Yes. So, and I, I work, I don't work very much, but I, I still work, work at my firm, yeah. What kind of projects do you work on? I work on power projects, green power projects. Interesting. So I work on hydro okay. and geothermal. So, Interesting, okay. So but, are, are uh, about I, actual plants or? What? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was the technical manager for the super, the construction of, the Kaurenhuka project, which is in the highlands of Iceland, and that was at the time one of the largest projects in Europe. So, and then it was then I lived in the highlands. I had to I stay there for ten days, go home for four days, and then you know when you live at your workplace, you really are okay with just going and writing in the evening. There's you know you have you don't want to stay in your workplace. Always, you know, so so that was an easy, good time for writing. That was about five years that I, that I did that. So but now I've toned it down a lot. I, I, I work maybe 40% if that. That's interesting. So did, did you start writing kind of because you, you would be on site at these projects and it would be a way to clear your mind during your, your downtime? No, no I, before I went on those projects, I wrote for children, but okay. it was one. There that I decided to to write for grown-ups, write like crime fiction. So you started writing for children, and oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. What, what was your first book? My first book was a was a kids' book, and it was about an assassination attempt, or like a, it wasn't a real assassination attempt, but on the Queen of Denmark within Iceland and kids that were trying to stop it. But but it was just like a. Um, they had got it wrong. Of course, nobody was trying to assassinate the Queen of Denmark in Iceland. But so, so these were like situation comedies. One was about one was about a dentist, who, a divorced dentist who had like five kids, and she needed somebody to take care of the kids. And the government offered like uh, a tax break if you would hire a convict. So she hires a convict, an ex-con con who's getting out of prison, to take care of her kids, and then havoc ensues. You know. So there, there was that type of book. One was about a girl who was trying to live by the Ten Commandments to try to win a prize at her church, and, and she ends up breaking them all, without though ever killing someone. And and um, and she she's not um, yeah. It's it's a play on on how you on how you uh, how you interpret the commandments. So in, when you started writing books for adults, did you just you know? It sounds like the themes were similar, but you just started killing people. For real. Yeah, well, the, the children's books were humorous, right? And 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 it was really good to get rid of that, and that's why I stopped. I I had written five books. The last one won the, the like a 
Children's Literature Prize here, and I didn't like that book at all. And I thought, I don't know what I'm doing if this one won a prize. And also, I was just so tired of being funny because it's it's so much more difficult to be funny all the time than than it is to be horrible. Because funny is kind of a it's a it's a very it's like dancing on a tightrope. Right. So easy to fall to either side of just not being funny at all or being too ridiculous. And whereas horrible is this just endless pit of of yeah, it's not as hard. <laughs> I no, I, I totally oh. agree. I actually I have a I have a real admiration for the craft of comedy because I, I feel like it's so subjective and It is, yeah. The oh. people that I know that do stand up, they they would always talk about um how you you know people don't really go to stand up to see jokes so much as the people that are really into it go to see people that they connect with and it's kind of you know, it's mirroring their own experience. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, but comedy somehow doesn't have a very like like within the arts. I don't think it's as appreciated as it should be. I agree. Because it's so hard, and it's such a it's such a fine craft. And I, for one, I think, for example, that the TV show The Office is a hundred times better and more than, for example, Death of a Salesman, which I was forced to see when I was a teenager at school. <laughs> As a play, and it's horrendous. No, no, yeah. Oh man, it's very bleak. So, yeah, yeah, very bleak for a teenager, teenage girl. It was just like, why am I watching this? How am I supposed to relate to these people? I've watched but, two hours yeah, so, of this play, and no one is true. They've not tried to assassinate anyone. This is horrible. Yeah, yeah, this is horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, the people that. Uh, are listening now this is being aired later but this is being recorded around the same time that the emmys were broadcast in the united states and um, yeah it's you you're reminding me there's a there's a comic that's big over here uh who's on saturday night live named bill Hader, and he's you know an amazingly versatile comic and this past yeah. year he just started a new series called barry on hbo which is basically about a he's known as a comic actor but he this is not a comic it's a comedy but it's not a comic role for him he plays a, a okay basically a military guy that has ptsd and he's incredible oh. in it. but he's he yeah. won the, the the award this year for best actor but he's been a comic actor for 20 years and you know he's yeah, yeah. recognized for this dramatic role and not as all of his yeah. Comic work yeah i should have to see that it's good. It's interesting because it's it's a um, it deals with a lot of really serious themes and it is funny, but the the people the actual characters are straight characters. Um, yeah, yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just watched. I don't know if that got any prizes. I just watched Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn. I loved. I loved the Amy Adams. Adam, that was so good. Yeah. That was so good. And then the ending, I just that was an ending. Like, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. That was such a great ending. That was a great ending. And I, actually, I think that was a really good example for me. I, I loved the book. And I, 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 yeah. I really liked Gillian Flynn's first two books a lot. And yeah. mainly because I felt like, this is, I think, one of the reasons that I really like your work is that I feel like you, I'm really uh, excited to talk to authors that, are kind of not afraid to go into strange new places and not afraid to 
to push things that are uncomfortable. And I feel like uh, yeah, she yeah. really did that with her stories. Because we're talking like with Sharp Objects, she writes about um, Munchausen by proxy and yeah, uh, yeah. horrible um, yeah. self-cutters. And um, these are like not comfortable subjects for a lot of people to no. talk about. Um, but one of the things about that show I really liked is the, uh, is the I thought that they adapted the book really well to fit the new format. And it's the it's yeah, the, story, yeah. but the way they, they handled that ending, which I won't spoil for people. Oh, but yeah. it was a great example of uh, for me of like how to write for television and how that's different from yeah. you know ending a book. Oh, it's very different. Yeah, and um, yeah. have you ever gone through that kind of adaptation process from your books to a different medium? Yeah, I have. I, the the my horror novel. I remember you. That's been made into a movie. An Icelandic movie, so so it's not going to be in in uh, it's it's available on streaming in the U.S. But it, but it's it would have to be su it's subtitled, so so it's not going into any. It's a very good movie, different from the book a little bit, but uh, but I decided to step away from from the the script writing, so I I asked to be not involved because the thing is it's such a different medium from a book a film or a TV show. And I'm not the person to realize what should stay, what should go. Because if you take that book and you read it out loud, like like the audio book is eight hours. So obviously not everything is going to fit into a movie. Right. So there was going to be a lot of dissecting and, and, and chopping and throwing. And I just thought I can't be the one to do that. And I would, I would have been horrible. And they told me after, they said, oh, you know, we really like you. We usually hate the authors <laughs> after working <laughs> with them, but we still really like you. So I think I made the right choice. That's really good, yeah. Well, so I remember you, for people listening, um, that you wrote that in 2013. And this is basically yeah. a story about um, three friends who are renovating a house in a remote location. And then um, they find out that the house they're renovating has paranormal things happening in it. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of, this book is, I, I promise people they will like it. If they like horror at all, they will like it because it's, the thing with it, it was, like, it was kind of a, it was the engineer in me that wrote that book. And it, I wanted to try, I've been thinking a lot about the difference between a thriller and a crime novel. And I found out, okay, in a thriller, you know, in a crime novel, you start off with the worst happening at the beginning. There's somebody killed and, you know, and slowly, slowly you move towards order being restored. You know, who was the killer? Maybe somebody was killed along the way, but that's sort of the way a crime novel flows. But in a thriller, the worst is always about to happen. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? So so the, the pressure, the, the sort of the, uh, yeah, not the pressure it becomes more more and more exciting the closer you get to the end, whereas the crime novel kind of, you know, loses its kind of thriller elements towards the end. And and I wanted to try to write a book that would combine these two. So so in this horror novel, I, it's running two stories side by side that are, of course, connected, but not until the end. And one of them is sort of a crime-ish setup, 
and that is the doctor whose son went out to play hide and seek and was never found. That's the crime element. The boy is lost, believed dead, and how is that going to pan out? And then the thriller element are the people restoring the house in the abandoned fjord. And and there I wanted something really scary, and, and I thought, what's what am I afraid of? And it turned out I wasn't afraid of anything. I'm afraid of taxes going up. I'm afraid of a computer virus that's not really <laughs> going to carry a thriller. So I wanted something, you know, sort of basic fear where no matter what you do, you can't um, influence, you can't take precautionary measures, and that would be a ghost or an evil presence. Right. I, that will I just come thought, after you no matter what you do. Yeah, I, I always, uh, I always think of ghost stories as being, um, kind, they're basically another way to tell a mystery, because yes, you're, yes. you're trying to figure out how that ghost became a ghost. Um, yeah. But I also and that's think, how they became. I mean, before I think it was in the '60s. I mean, before ghost stories were only short stories because they were just ghosts running around scaring people, and there was no reason for them to be doing it. They were just doing it. Right. Right. And there was no story, but no mystery. But then in the 60s, someone started, I think, I don't remember who did it, but ghosts started having a purpose. So so what they're doing is they're trying to have an old wrong righted or they want their circumstances to be known and so on. And that makes, that makes them material enough to carry a whole novel or a whole movie. That's really interesting. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I just want to say folklore, usually it's very, very brief. Like all the Icelandic folklore, we have lots of ghost stories and things. People, it's, it's quite ingrained in our society, all of this kind of stuff. But these stories are always very brief, very short, because there's really no backstory to the ghost. It's just there. That, that makes sense. Are there, are there local stories of hauntings that inspired you for, for I Remember You? Not for I Remember You, but I Remember You was inspired by the, the that abandoned town, which actually exists. But it does say, based on a true story on the book, which is, ah, not really, that's not really correct, but, uh, but it is based on this abandoned town. And, you- and, and a lot of the, <laughs> that was, it was a mistake. I, I, I don't know, it's, they're mixing up things, but that's okay. <laughs> I don't think anybody is. I can, I can get away with saying, okay, it's based on a true story with, the town being abandoned. Right. I have right. that to, to try to try to make it a little less embarrassing. I, yeah, but, I think uh, the, the cheat over here is they'll say inspired by a true story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, 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 um, yeah, where was I? No, I don't remember. What, oh, that, like the, the Icelandic. Town like. Sorry? What, what, what that is abandoned the town? Abandoned oh, town like, yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. And I didn't go there originally to write. It's a very popular place to go in the summer to go hiking in the West Fjord. It's very, very remote, very um, uh, pristine, the nature around and so on. So we went with a group of friends. You have to go there by boat. And and I just stayed on behind because when we came sailing in and you see these like old houses that have been uh, the, the... the relatives of the people who lived there and, and left in the 50s, they've been fixing them up and, and so on. So they have them as summer cottages. So I stayed behind while everybody else went hiking just to, to try to stay there and get sort of a breathe in this, this place and try to come up with a good story 
for it then. And it was just perfect for a ghost story because there's no no mobile connections. Right. And that's, of course, what would you do if you were stuck and there's a ghost after you'd phone somebody to come pick you up? So, so I needed that element as well. So that was like nice. Yeah. In, in this day and age of, of cellular devices, half of the author's challenge is figuring out why people don't just call the cops. So it's sort of like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, disabling somebody's cell phone at the beginning of the book. Somehow. Yeah, and and it's quite it's it's. I mean, a lot, not a lot, but one way of getting around it is write about things in the past. To me, it's like okay. So when is somebody going to write about today? You have to work with it. You have to use it to your advantage. Or so I never, except for that ghost story. I I don't try to steer away from technology. You know, sometimes I use it even in the story, and that can be embarrassing <laughs> many years later, because I think there's a book in the Thora series where I'm explaining Facebook to the readers, because Facebook was new then, <laughs> at least it was new here in Iceland. So, yeah. And I saw one some comments on Amazon or something, like, what is with this woman? Why is she talking about Facebook, trying to explain Facebook? So... So that's that's a minus, but you have to, you know, I I, I want to write things that are going on. You know, I use society the way it is exactly when I'm writing the book. Well, and this segues really nicely um, to a, another question I wanted to ask you because the I, the first book I read uh, was Someone to Watch Over Me, which for people reading, uh, for people listening, is, yeah. is about this is the Thora series. And this is, yeah. uh, and again, the, the main character is a lawyer and she's working with uh, an arson case where she, there's somebody who um, is disabled, who's, who she's helping, who is, um, I believe he has Down syndrome. I, I'm trying to remember Yeah, now. Down syndrome, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. he has Down, Down syndrome and he has been implicated in an arson, which, uh, which killed a few people. And there, you know, there's also somebody who was in a coma and was pregnant and they find that out. And so there's the, you know, there's this really horrible crime, but you're also, um, you're writing about things that I thought were, it was interesting to me because they were very specific to Iceland. You, t- you talk about uh, the Iceland financial crisis and what happened before and after. Yeah, yeah. About um, the, basically the mental health profession uh, and, and care and treatment within Iceland and, and things that are very specific to the country. and. I guess to get started, like um, for for people from outside Iceland, how I have a sense of how the financial crisis impacted the culture, but you know, as somebody who lives there, what, what like what happened? What was it like before two thousand and eight, and how and what is it like now? Yeah, I mean, in the years running up to two thousand eight, were very different from everything that had gone before because Iceland is a very Traditional Iceland is a very flat society. You don't have super rich people. You just, you know, the richest person when I went, when I'm growing up, and all the way almost up to that runner-up to the financial crisis, the richest person because we have this tax list that will publish all the richest people. That will be the dentist or somebody who owns like a drugstore. Okay. And then all of a sudden, like there come these bankers that were bringing in, you know, that had jets, their own planes, and, you know, just things that we have not seen before. And they were hiring people into the banks, young people paying them crazy money. So everybody seemed to be like, 
you know, really, really rich. And these young people, you know, they thought that that was what their work was worth. And, and you know, things just went crazy for the people who had access to this money. Of course, there were, not everybody did. And, it, and we don't have any private schools here or anything, so people all go to the same school. So in the same class of kids, you might have the kid that couldn't buy a bus ticket to go to the swimming pool with the school and the kid who went to Monte Carlo right. on the weekend. And, and that was just really not a very good direction that we were headed into because it's much better when it's more equally divided. I'm not a communist or anything, but truly this is the, the system, the social democratic system that was running here before was really, really good. Then came the crash and everybody was hit. Not only the, the very rich people, but everybody, because what the banks did was that they lent money, like mortgages to people, because everybody was buying new houses and apartments, and and they would give them mortgages that were based in yen and and uh, and uh, Swiss francs and dollars and euros. So the housing market, all the houses were going up, the price of housing. Then came the crash. So what happens is the, the the currency here collapses, meaning because you owe everything in dollars, that all of a sudden your your mortgage has doubled because your income is in the local currency. Right. And also the price of your house has collapsed, so you can't even sell it to get rid of the mortgage. So that was a very very bad time, and 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 it was handled so so by 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 the government, but. The thing is, with Iceland, we're only 330,000 people, and it's so easy to fix things. So now we're, you know, really back to being fine. Because oddly enough, this bank crisis and the volcano eruptions that came after, we were on the news (laughs) everywhere constantly for all the wrong reasons, but that somehow brought attention to the country. And what happened is we had this huge wave of tourism, which is now like a third of our economy, is tourism. Before, nobody wanted to come here, only like weird people that were interested in geology. Or, or, and all of a sudden, we became this Instagram hit country, and now tourism is crazy. So you can, so you can easily remedy things when you have only 330,000 people. That's much harder if you have a country with millions and millions of people, of course. So things have have stabilized. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people left, though. Well, the bankers that that were there, are are these Icelandic bankers or or people from outside? Yeah, 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 yeah. Icelandic. They went to jail. (laughs) They went to jail. (laughs) Yeah. But the thing is, I don't think, I, I think, I mean, I don't think they were, you know, they're not evil, you know, they they weren't. I don't think they even realized they were doing something wrong. Mm. I think what they did was towards the end when the bank started to collapse, they they started doing weird things to try to keep them afloat. But up to that point, they were not doing anything illegal. They were just, you know, money was flowing somehow everywhere and they they were trying to invest it, but did a really bad job, I guess. But towards the end, they did a lot of weird things. And that's why they went to jail. Like what? Um, I think they pretended that some some sheikh from Qatar or something had had bought a 
piece of the bank or something to, to yeah to try to get like investors to the the bank's investors to to be um to to relax and then they 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 themselves sold out of things that they knew were going bankrupt and left it to to the pension funds and so on to take take the hit so i mean they did a lot of weird things and, and illegal things and bad things at the end but but up to up to that point they were looked upon as heroes i mean people thought they were really really smart banking people um yeah so, a, a similar trend yeah. happened around the same time in in the u.s um yeah 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 it was i think it was like also in europe yeah yeah definitely sorry no uh, yeah i uh i no i was, I was just agreeing but um, yeah the question so, I was the um, you talked about this is a uh, Iceland has three hundred thirty thousand people in it, and is there yeah. as, as somebody who has also traveled the world, and you know is, is there something that what's what's different in terms of writing a crime novel or any story with with a, a culture that has three hundred thirty thousand people in it versus uh, something that a country that has three hundred fifteen million people. Like, yeah, does, yeah. Does that change how you write crime and stories? It does. Yeah. It does. It does because here we have we don't have any syndicated crime. We don't have any mobs. We don't have any gangs. You know, we might have two guys trying to have a drug cartel. We don't have any of that um, heavy duty crime that you have elsewhere when it comes to drugs and things like that. We have, of course, murders. Usually the murderer will know the person they killed. We have, of course, rape. I mean, we have all, all the types of crimes that you will see elsewhere, but at a, at, in a much smaller scale. And we also have something that you have to use as an author here. And that is, there are so few degrees of separation between people that there's not, no such thing as a coincidence. I was, so You I was can't have a character. That. Yeah, you can't have a character who comes somewhere and and you know moves from one town to another takes up a new name and just lives there and that that would never work i was curious found about that. That was, in two days that was the thing i i kept thinking about when i when i've been uh, when i was reading well someone to watch over me but just the this idea of is it you know what degree of anonymity could, can you get in a in a country that that has a very tight population like that very very little if yeah. any yeah so so yeah so if you so but, but you have you can use that to your advantage as a writer that right. you know that because of this then that means like information access is very easy so so you can so you'd have to go through kind of a, trying to explain why somebody meets somebody who talks you know or why would he know that person who knows that person blah 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 that kind of connection, you would have a very hard time getting a reader who's reading something in America, maybe Southern America, to, to believe that the investigator would know the grandmother of the victim or, or something. Right. But then you'd have, or, you know, of course, that would work if you place it in a small town. But but uh, but here, that that's that's just the way it is. They're, they're, you give me any name of anybody from my son, and I can find someone that we will know between the two of us you know somebody that he will know and i will know i might not know that person but i will definitely know a relative of his or her and a friend or 
Well, and so I wanted to ask with recent trends, with the with the recent spike in tourism, uh, you know, yeah. when I was there, um, and <laughs> and for the record, I'd been wanting to go to Iceland for twenty years. So I'm I'm one of the people that that the one. Oh, it's the, very nice. Okay, okay, so you're one of the weirdos. Yeah, <laughs> I, it just the opportunity never availed itself. But yeah. somebody, when I was over there, uh, I don't know if the numbers are accurate, was saying that, you know, it used to be 30,000 people a year, and now it's, you know, 3 million people a year visiting. Yeah, people. yeah, yeah. And so yeah. With, with this influx of strangers that are now coming into the country, does that change the dynamic? It, it does, it does, in a way. I mean, uh, for example... Much uh, like like for, let's just take one of the biggest attractions for for tourists here, which would be the Blue Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Nobody from Iceland will go to the Blue Lagoon anymore because you have to order in advance because it's always sold out. And um, and for us, it's just the Blue Lagoon, and we would just go there, drive there, go there, go home. You wouldn't want to have to know many days in advance when you're going. So it does change things, but you know, nothing is all good and, and nothing is all bad. There are things that we lose and there are things that we we um we benefit from this so it's are, are not there, that you know I mean, iceland doesn't like tourists it's not like that at all oh no no and that's not what i'm saying i, I was just kind of wondering for are are there instance more instances of crimes where people don't know each other because of now there are more people that aren't from the country there there are actually a lot more accidents oh interesting there okay. now okay people dying and because we i mean our road system is not um you know it's one way like there's there's a two lane the highway around the country is two lanes one in each direction on the same on the same road and sometimes we have gravel roads and people come who have maybe never driven on a gravel road and driving on gravel can be like driving on 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 ice right so we have a lot of people dying in traffic accidents we have a lot of people mountain climbing and going into you know the the wilderness kind of without being properly prepared or or in physical shape that they can do that so we have a lot of accidents as well in, in nature and, and and there's discussion of how can we get this across to to because nobody wants someone who's on a holiday here to get hurt I mean, the best thing would be if if we could somehow get all the information that these people need so that they would take more precautions. Of course, there's always going to be someone who, who doesn't, but most people will follow advice. And and, and uh, so we have uh, helicopters to pick up people from, and, and, and I live quite close to the, to the Reykjavik airport and the helicopters are just always going somewhere. And every time they take off, I think, Oh God, what now? And then they're going to pick up, you know, usually it would be they were going to pick up sailors that had been hurt or at sea. But now usually they're going to pick up tourists that have fallen in a mountain or usually only breaking a leg or something. Yeah, I was very happy not to be one of those tourists. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, no, I mean, and this is, of course, we have three million people. so, So it's not, of course, not everybody gets hurt or anything, but, but. People tend to, it's so beautiful, the nature here. And, and I can so understand that people get so inspired that they would just want to walk and, oh, I want to go on the top of that and see what I see on the other side. But, but we, people who have lived here for a long time, of course, we know the dangers. We know where not to go and, and so on. So, so 
And that's, that's just like if we, if I would go to St. Petersburg in Florida, you know, I, 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 I was not prepared. You know, if I, if I had been living on the street, I would have died. So, so it's, it's, it's just, and, uh, so, so I'm not. Uh, I, I can I can easily see myself in in the shoes of someone who does not prepare properly. Right, right. Or in the summertime, the shoes without socks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to remind everybody you are listening to Thrill Seekers. We are part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. This is a trademark copyrighted podcast solely owned by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network LLC. We've been talking to Yursa. Sigurta daughter, and I again apologize to people listening from Iceland. I know I'm botching the accent, but please bear with me. I'm really, Yersa, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, I would, I just was uh, when I basically when I was there, I was really looking to find uh, authors that I hadn't heard of before. And even though you have a huge body of work and it's really good. Um, part of the reason I wanted to have you on is I just, uh, for people listening, I just want more people to reach you. So, uh, thank you. (laughs) And, uh, so I I just want to remind everybody that some of the books that we've been talking about. So we've been talking about the legacy, which is the first of a new series with a psychologist named Freya. And, um, and there'll be a second book called the reckoning that will be out in 2019. Um, we were talking about I Remember You, which uh, is a ghost story that has been made into a movie, but I'm not going to see the movie until I finish the book, which I just started this week. Um, but, um, you know, just in time for Halloween, uh, if you're looking for a good ghost story, I can, I can vouch for this as I, as I just started reading it. It's, it's awesome, and I think you should read it. The first book I, I read from Irsa was uh, Someone to Watch Over Me, which for me was um, just the nature of the crime. This again is the boy with Down syndrome who was accused in an arson. Uh, it's a you know a very complex crime, and 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 it it grapples with issues that are often uncomfortable to deal deal with, and I haven't seen in a lot of other books. And so I, I was really uh, compelled by that. I guess for people that you know want to find out more about you, and uh, what's what's the best way for them to to find out more other than just asking their local bookstore um i have a i have a facebook page an author page i haven't gotten around to getting an like a, a web page because i know from work that a web page there's no problem to put up a web page it's to con- put keep putting stuff into that web page that i don't have time for so i have a, a facebook author page and there's an interview with me also on peter james youtube network Ah, great. Somebody okay. wants to see what I look like. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, and, and for people that are, um, this is, again, because Americans and other, there are people from other countries that also tune in. Um, if you're like me, and I haven't completely mastered the, the ear for Icelandic, if you're not sure how to, how to um, pronounce the name or how it's spelled, uh, you know, obviously you can check your, your podcast feed or go to the website. Um, but, yeah. Uh, also, just look up Irsa, Y-R-S-A, um, and then if you type in Irsa S, it'll auto-populate for you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, and, or, uh, you know, just look up The Legacy, or I Remember You, or Someone to Watch Over Me, uh, and then see the number of other uh, other books. And um, and uh, with that, we're, we're winding down. I just wanted to 
to thank you for making the time to to call in from Reykjavik. And I was actually very excited to meet you in person. Uh, it's it's weird how these conferences work because um, I you know had had reached out to you really out of the blue, and I was like, oh, it's such a small world that um, you know it is so it is like Bouchercon bring people. <laughs> you know, in in close proximity. Um, yes. So I'm um, going to Dallas next year. Are you going to Dallas next year? I'm going to try to go to Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever make it? Up and to then Dallas? I'm going to drive down from. I did. I was there this spring for the Bay Area Book Festival. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah, but I'm going to Dallas for sure because I was in, as a child. I grew up. Part of my childhood was in Houston, Texas. So I'm going to rent a car and go down there and see my old elementary school and I haven't been there since I was a kid. So that'll be interesting. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah. I hadn't been to Dallas. I hadn't ever been to Dallas until a couple of years ago. And I was actually surprised at, um, it was interesting for me. Um, and the, uh, this, the science museum there is incredible. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's very interactive. Um, there's a, there's a family called the Perot family and one of the, the people in it, Ross Perot, um, famously ran for president oh. of the States at one point. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They have a lot of oil money, and they, they used it um, to, for that. And as somebody who was a civil engineer in Iceland, you you may or may not be interested to see that, like, they have a very interactive robotics exhibit. And also, because of oh, love all the oil money in it, there's a, there's a lot yeah. of uh, geological exhibits as well. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I, there you go. I, yeah. yeah, I really look forward to this. Yeah. yeah. Because in my memory, I was telling my husband, oh, this is going to be great. We'll go to the museum. In my memory, you know, childhood was watermelon swimming, prison rodeos, and I wanted to take him to a prison rodeo, but they would shut that down. And, and then I, I realized, of course, they've shut that down. Oh, this is a gladiator <laughs> kind of thing. So, so I, you can go to uh, you know, just pretend it's a prison rodeo. I can I can tell them it's a prison rodeo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can say this this rodeo is not based on a true story, but it was inspired. Yeah, by, yeah, yeah, yeah. Inspired yeah. by prison rodeo. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, well, great yeah. to talk to you, and I invite Likewise. who's listening to to dig in to a a great. If you're looking for a new author, this is exactly why I have shows the show. To, to hopefully introduce you to some your next favorite author and Yorsa, um, it was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. Likewise. <laughs>